Amen. Well, uh, you probably can sense uh, what that text is uh, talking about. The theme of the text is anxiousness, anxiety. Um, And I thought about this moment where we are saying aloha to the Thompsons, and we are experiencing transition as a church uh, once again. Uh, we go through this uh, quite a bit, but this is a pretty, pretty big moment for us, and, um, and so I thought we would spend some time, perhaps this is more like a homily than a, a, full, a full sermon, but um, reflecting on Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, teaching about the anxiety uh, that we all have. Um, God really has shared some special people with us. Uh, I certainly have learned so much from them. And I, as I prayed, uh, they have taught us how to love. Um, and it has just been a special thing to work next to Nathaniel and to uh, partner with him in the gospel and the struggle of trying to lead a church, uh, work with our elders and try to direct things and try to figure out how God is leading us. Uh, they've taught us how to care for people. Uh, they've taught us how to be attentive, to love, to enfold, to uh, connect with people who may feel a bit on the fringe, to watch for the person who is not always at the center of the, of the group, but on the fringe. And they have thought often about what people need and have sought to connect with them. God in his providence brought the Thompsons to us, and uh, they have been a very special gift for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about what is the most repeated commandment in the Bible. What do you think is the most repeated commandment in the Bible, or the command, I should say, or exhortation? And the answer is, do not be afraid. That is the most repeated command in the Bible, and it's very odd, it comes a little bit unusual command, because it is spoken as a word of reassurance. Do not be afraid. And of course, many times that phrase is used in the Bible, and God follows it with, I am with you. Do not be afraid, I am with you. We can account, we can... We can think through uh, the various times when God has said this. We think particularly of Moses, who was afraid. Think of Joshua, who took over after Moses, and God reassuring him. Think of the many, many times when David and God spoke, and David received assurance that God was with him. And God is with us today. God is with us today in this transition. Today, the text is a text about anxious people and what Jesus says to them. He has just spoken about the subject of serving God or money. And then we have the word, therefore. In other words, if the issue between whether you're going to serve God or money, if that is settled in your heart... And as a follower of Jesus, you have, in essence, settled that, though it's a continual struggle. Jesus then gives this remarkable, therefore, therefore, since you're serving God, 
That's the assumption of our text. Since you are devoted to God, since you see his goodness, since you see his, the pleasure of serving him, since you see the treasure of the kingdom, since you see the value of the kingdom, since, since, since all these things are happening, well, here's the therefore, here's the application to the heart. Uh, don't be anxious about anything. And uh, Jesus has been with people who have, he's heard them talk, he is in tune with their issues, their concerns about what they would wear, what they would eat. He, he relates to the, to the real needs of people. And his response is this, notice birds and notice lilies. That's his answer. Notice birds and notice flowers. And what he's calling us to do is he is presenting to us a place for our attentiveness. You anxious this morning? Are you anxious? One of the great gifts that Nathaniel gave me was... uh, a sabbatical. In other words, we had someone who could do more than just fill in on the pulp, in the pulpit, but do a great job. And I was afforded a sabbatical for the first time in many, many years, and uh, I was gone for six months. And what dawned on me about six, seven weeks into that sabbatical was that the energy of my life, the energy that got me going through my day, the energy was anxiety. That was the fuel that motivated me. It actually works pretty good. It actually has kind of a power to it. It's a little better than caffeine, actually. Or maybe caffeine and those things go together. But. So if you had asked me before I took the sabbatical, uh, you, you seem stressed or you seem anxious, I would not know what you're talking about. I was not aware of just how attentive I was to to problems or something like that, right? So Jesus is now talking to anxious people. This is the wisest teacher who's ever walked this earth. Just think of him as wise. Of course, that's not hard to do. And he speaks to the issue of the heart and diagnoses it in just about two sentences. And he drives home the issue of attentiveness. What captures your attentiveness these days? And so Jesus, now it feels almost insulting to we moderns. He, has, he's want, he wants me to study a sparrow. Right? He wants me to look at a flower. And he, it, it feels a little bit, you know, like, look, I've got sophisticated problems, and it's insulting almost when you present a simple solution to my very sophisticated life. If your heart is anxious, then you are attentive to what feels uncertain. So Jesus then directs the heart to what is certain. And what is certain is these almost mindless little creatures called sparrows find food. 
They really do. And the smart ones hang out at restaurants. And they find food. These little mindless creatures, not, not a lot going on up there. They find food. They are cared for by your Heavenly Father. And then Jesus goes on to say that they really are not that good at planning, though there are actually very bright, intelligent birds that do a lot of planning, migrations, right? We think of there's, there's some pretty intelligent birds. But the ones he's referring to here don't sow or reap. They're not planners like a farmer. They're not really planning anything. They just live in the moment. And they don't even gather into barns. I mean, you'd think they'd have some level of intelligence to, to, to do that. They, they don't really store, store much. I imagine uh, a female sparrow can make a, a nest, which is, which is nice. But they can't do any real planning. And yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. They're temporary creatures. Temporary creatures, they, we really don't notice them. They're, but that is what we are called to look at. So anxious hearts are attentive to what is uncertain, uncertain. And there are some of us who are sure that we are feeling what's uncertain. And we pay a lot of attention to that. Uh, We feel comfortable with plans. Don't you like a plan? Plans are nice. But Jesus tells us to look at birds that don't do planning. And, uh, And then the idea of adorning ourselves, of making ourselves presentable, of making ourselves look beautiful. And of course, this whole, the whole world of what we wear is a huge, huge, massive uh, world of industry. And there's something beautiful about that. It's that it's something wonderful, something expressive about how we've been made in the image of God, and we are expressing that in creativity and beauty, and there's something very, very good about that. But it's the anxiousness of the heart that is preoccupied with clothing, And what he does is he says, slow down and look at the lilies. One of the most wealthy men who ever lived, who could have all kinds of fine fabrics, what he wore doesn't compare to these lilies. So we are to have watchful care to what God is preserving and taking care of. it, And now what this is, is a lesser to greater argument. It's, it's, it's the sparrow in, in the order of creation is less than a human being. It's okay to say that. You are far more worth God's attention. And so what Jesus is doing is he is calling us to think about God's preservation of us, his sustaining of us. This is vitally important. I think I'm here in front of many people who have been good planners, who have received good education. You have been diligent. You have worked hard to get where you are. You have seen the fruit of your labor. All this is good. 
But are you in some way taking credit for all that you enjoy? Or has God been masterfully working through your thoughts, your will, your efforts, your desires, the choice of schooling, all these different things, all this background that God has been caring for you, putting a roof over your head, putting food on your table. He's been providing for you. And all your planning certainly was important, but God is superintending and overseeing all of that planning. So no doubt the Thompsons will look back on this period of life five years from now and they will see more clearly how God was leading them. They will see more clearly conversations that were coming that they didn't expect, people they met, people who supported them, conversations that would build a ministry and the intimidating feeling of starting a new ministry at Western Washington University. All of this now as we grow to and slow down a bit and begin to look back at our lives and say, God, you have been masterfully working. This is now to impact how we are to think about our momentary struggles. What anxiety does is anxiety is going to put a plan into action. Anxiety is going to fix this. Anxiety is going to take this unformed plan, this unformed future, this unformed tomorrow, and anxiety is going to fix it. It's going to be the energy. And what anxiety is doing is this. Anxiety is very subtly saying, yeah, I've heard there's a Heavenly Father, but He's not active. Yes, I've read the story about Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days of temptation, trusting his father, even when he couldn't see any evidence of it. Yes, I've heard that story, but I've got to take charge of my life. In other words, anxiety is the opposite of faith. Faith now puts into motion the heart at rest. Faith puts into motion hope. Faith puts into motion relational connection. Because as you interact with someone, you're not just using them to ease your anxieties. You now realize, if you are following the text, applying it to your heart, you have a heavenly father who's taking care of the big picture of your life. And people are not to be used, they are to be loved. the last thing the anxious heart wants to do is slow down. Look at a what? Huh? What? Look at a sparrow? What for? I, I, stare at flowers? How long? I got to go. I got to go on. Do, do you see how, how counterintuitive this is for a very productive society and productive people? This is, this is really counterintuitive. Who is putting into practice 
the order of your life. Who's putting into real tangible life, real tangible days and weeks and minutes? Who's putting into practice the, the care that we need? It's our Heavenly Father in the, in the life of our, our, our covenant community here, our, this, this church. And he's putting into practice for the, for the Thompsons. Someone is overseeing our lives. And Christ in this passage is calling us to understand the, our Heavenly Father's value of us. It tells us of, of our condition in this world. We are suspicious of God's goodness. Born, we're born that way. We collect evidence. Uh, I always thought God was not quite that good. And we collect evidence of it. And of course, the argument here is that the care you need as a human being, God is caring for the little sparrow, the care you need as a human being is much greater than the, than the, the care he gives a, a, a sparrow. But he's calling us to look at the most basic ways that God sustains his creation, and he's saying to you, you are the object, you are the, the point You are the reason why he made this creation that you might flourish to his glory. And and now as you begin to study the subject of anxiety in the Bible, it makes quite remarkable statements. For instance, Philippians 4 says, Be anxious for what? How much? Nothing. My exhortation to you today is to think deeply about that concept, that idea. Be anxious for nothing. Your heavenly father, Thompson's, is working all things together for the good. Not a hair can fall from your head. He's going before you. He's going before us. This is just an exchange of kingdom players in different parts of the kingdom. That's all that's going on here. Our Heavenly Father is working together. And he has for a season allowed us to all work together and enjoy Nathaniel and Susie and their children. But his care for us is far superior to lilies and to sparrows. Fear is more like a concentrated attention. I found it. There it is. There it is right there. That's the source of, there it is. It's a, it finds its object. I found it. There it is. And it feels close at hand. And anxiety is more like scanning attention, knowing that there is danger out there. I know it's out there. I just haven't found it yet. It's out there. Christian counselor Ed Welch says that fear and anxiety are saying something like a voice inside us almost prophesying about the future, saying something to us, fear or anxiety, saying something to us in this way. I know that what I prize, I know that what I cherish is going to be threatened or taken out. My loved ones, my health, my security, my comfort, my power. 
And of course, Jesus concludes this passage and he says this. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And the answer is, of course, in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll have new, new bodies, no, no more cancer. The kingdom of God is going to expand all the way into the new heavens and the new earth. Nothing ultimately will be lost. And what's crying out also in this passage is, I feel so alone. I and I alone must find my food. I and I alone must make my clothes. I and I alone. What's remarkable for me is to watch the children in Mexico where our daughter serves in an orphanage with her husband. All these children, everything they have, everything is received. The shoes are gifts. The t-shirts are gifts. And the most remarkable thing is, as I've been with them many, many weeks, I haven't picked up that much anxiety in them. They rejoice in God's provision. Some new food arrives, some new treat. Someone drops off some cake at the gate or something new. They just receive it in goodness. They receive it from God's hands. They do live hand to mouth. Really, it's about by a month. They have about a month of supplies. And they are, they are excited, receiving it as a gift from God. They are not alone. God's with them. What is Jesus saying in this passage? He's saying you have the right person with you. You have the right person with you. You have my heavenly father and he is, he is taking care of me. And of course, we have our Heavenly Father who has given us his presence at a very high price. The ransom was paid, and that, in this sense, the precious love, blood of Jesus was given, and we were purchased with that blood. Jesus suffered, cried out, Why have you forsaken me? That we might always know that the right person is on our side. Jesus held to the promise of the word of God, that the word of God was what man lived by, not bread in the wilderness. And he spoke those words in the desert where it appeared that he had been abandoned. And he must resort, at least in Satan's temptation, to becoming anxious about himself and grabbing what, what he deserves and making bread for himself. He did not allow that anxious moment to enter or that anxious feeling, that anxious thought to fully embrace his, his thinking. It, it, it had appeared that his heavenly father had left him for dead. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Slow down. Watch the birds. Take a look at a, a lily or a flower. Watch God's care. And then say to yourself that first line from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your, the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the first line says that I belong both body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, 
but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment when we can be before you. We express to you, Lord, we must learn the basics to calm our heart. Thank you for this moment we've had to think with our Savior about your remarkable care for this earth and how it is to instruct us of your care for us. Father, I uh, represent the strugglers. I represent those who don't have it together. I, I pray, Lord, that they will um, know your, your love and your care for them. Father, some here in this room are going through deep uh, struggles, and it makes sense. Uh, things are difficult and hard. And I pray, Lord, that these words that you have given us today will be a rich and warm promise brought with your remarkable presence. We thank you now for the Lord's Supper, which provides for us your presence in a remarkable way, that you have not abandoned us and that we are not to be fearful, that we can be with you around a table. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.